Acts chapter 19, we pick up in verse 11, and we see some new events happening here as we progress forward. And here Paul is now in Ephesus. He is promised to return to Ephesus. He's there. He was in one school of Tyrannus where there was problems and dissensions amongst diverse blasphemers. He's getting ready now to go into spread, spreading the gospel all throughout Asia. And then some very interesting events happen here. So in verse 11, it says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews' exorcists took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are ye? Who are you? He says, who? who? They, he didn't even recognize him. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many believed that came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found that 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Always God's word prevails. Always. Never, it, never, it never ceases to amaze me ever when I'm reading through Scripture. And we're going to see how the word of the Lord always prevails today. Diverse blasphemers protecting the way. True healing cloths and Jewish exorcists. And what is presented to us in this, is what is presented in this portion of Acts 19 on Paul's third missionary journey. And this is his third. And we're not even finished with some of the events that happened here. We see that there were diverse blasphemers. They spoke of the people of the way. And these people of the way, as we talked about last week, are followers of Jesus Christ. And later on, we're going to see down the road where we read about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. This is where it's always been with Christians. No small disturbance. And that's what happens in the life of a Christian. Satan's always trying to plot against it. And here we see this here with Paul. Paul would be forced to separate the disciples from wicked attacks. John Calvin, he taught us, and we read last week, Luke added that they speak evil of the way before the people. And we read a long paragraph of a really good quote that Calvin made about how the people of the way were attacked. Paul was protecting them, and, he, and, the, and the people, actually, they protected Paul also. And we have to remember that Paul had given this warning in Titus about a heretic that had came after, and he too was attacking the church. And what he said here in Titus, chapters, in, in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, and could somebody look that up and read that? Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. I want to read this again because it's important. It's important to see that we have to be able as Christians to pick out what are the heresies and what are some of the factors that come in and cause the church to basically implode. What happens and how are people duped? And we can see here many people were duped back in the day by exorcists. Now we take it another step and not only are these exorcists all over the place, some of them were actually Jews 
They were called vagabond Jews. So they basically, they were professing the name of Jesus Christ, their exorcisms in his name by the preaching of Paul. And I think that in, that in and of itself is very profound. Who has Titus 3, verses 10 through 11? And so, thank you. And this is in the book of Titus, we see that he's condemned of himself. What, and that's important. Condemned of himself means that he exposes his own heart to those that are Christians because of the fruits that they bear. And we can really tell and we can see what the truth, where the truth is rooted and the foundational principles of the truth by the fruits that they bear. For the word of God is here we see is unjustly blasphemed. And if it be cast to the dogs and swine... Then what happens? The word of God is going to rise up no matter where it is. We must provide for the weak, lest through wicked backbuttings and slandering of sound doctrine, godliness is subverted. Therefore, Paul did separate the disciples. Matthew Henry, he, these are some of the notes from his commentary. Lest the goats should with their stink infect the flock of sheep. And that's exactly what was happening. Basically, the flocks of the sheep can be infected because all of these wicked things come in. This is what was happening to area Christians that had heard the gospel of John. Can you imagine some of the disciples that had heard about the gospel of the baptism of John and never got past what Paul had taught these 12 disciples? They too were still thinking of that, but then they were approached by these exorcists and these sorcerers and how confused they were with religion. Do you think today people are confused with religion and what really is the truth? Who to follow and what they're supposed to what, what they're supposed to believe? Where do they find their faith? Where do they find true comfort? It's not through man. We see this awful reaction to preaching of God's word. Paul had departed, he had separated the disciples. And we see how important that is. And the length of time that Paul had taught in the taught in the school of Tyrannus was the total length of the of at the ministry of Ephesus was over three months. And his disciples, here we see what Paul taught them, and they were saved, he would baptize them in the Holy Spirit. He had the power to do this. The Holy Spirit told him that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so what was happening is when these disciples would arise, Paul would teach them, not only the gospel, not only the truth, not about the present Bible at, the, at this time that was basically the Old Testament and certain other writings. He would take these and he would teach them how to teach and how to go out and to encourage the churches. They would have Bible studies. Remember the Bereans. What were the Bereans doing? They were asking Paul questions and he was teaching them and showing them how to take that and how to, to, to expand the work. So with all of this happening, here we see there's blasphemers. They were called diverse. They were, they were di the, the, we talked last week about diversity. They were diverse against the word of God. Paul is separated from them. They are going off. Remember, back in Corinth, we still have Aquila and Priscilla. They're teaching. Silas is back. He's, Peter's in Jerusalem, and the church is scattered. And then something interesting happens real here. Their special miracles are wrought by the hands of Paul, with handkerchiefs and aprons, and these were implements that showed there was a way to heal from Christ. 
David, Dave. Right. That's a good question because I had to read that. There was different. There was. There were different um, opinions and different commentaries about that. And it says, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul in verse eleven, Acts nineteen, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. They were from his body, basically. The greater part of the commentary believes that they were the implements that he wore when he was tent making. These were handkerchiefs, aprons, and he had several of them that he carried with him. And basically, the Holy Spirit had given him power. And when he would give them, people would come to him, he'd give them to them, and he would heal them. They would touch him. And this brings up a question. Was this true healing? Was this by the Holy Spirit, or was this just another exorcism? Well, we know by the power of Christ and by Paul's ministry, we know that it's of Christ. Dave. Right. So then Christ definitely had the power to have Paul's implements here be able to heal. Lisey. Right. 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 That's a great point. That's part of this lesson, and I'll tell you what the next question was. My next ultimate question was basically. Where do you remember in Scripture that physical implements were used for healing? I think it's a very good question. It's all throughout Scripture. Lisi just brought one of them up, the hem of Christ's garment. Lisi. Right. Right. Right, the incense was one. That's a good one. What about the serpent up on the pole for healing? That Moses, the Lord told him to look at it for healing. Remember that? That was another one. Any other ones? Anybody can remember any? Marianne. Right. The centurion's servant. And what, did, what, was the, what implement did the Lord use there for healing? That was, and that's part, I didn't even have it written down, but I wanted to talk about that. I thought about that. Greg, he used his word, but one thing he did use, that's a good point, Marianne, he used distance. That's important. It may not be a physical thing to touch, but that's important because when, we use di- when he used distance, remember the centurion asked him and said, he had asked him, he said, please do not come to my place. I'm not worthy of you, Lord. And the Lord, from distance away, was able to heal him. And it says later on in that chapter that at the very self-same minute, that man was healed when Jesus' words came out. So from a distance, Christ is able to heal. 
So that's important because it shows us that maybe sometimes there are people that we're concerned about and we feel like we should have been there with them, maybe on their deathbed or in the hospital, or maybe we can't be. You pray for them. That's what Christ did. He could do it from a distance. We can pray from a distance. And that carries the same weight. It really does because the Lord commands us to do it. And so that's another good one. Thank you, Marianne. Anybody else? Implements for healing. They're all throughout Scripture. Dave? The whale, well, that brings up a good point. Was the whale... This, is all, this has been a great debate amongst theologians. I was reading about this for, for a long time. Was the whale, or the great fish, was an instrument of destruction, or was it an instrument of, of salvation? The, the great fish. It was an instrument of salvation, or he'd have drowned to death. I mean, yeah, that was healing. That kept him from dying. That's good. Greg? Yes. That's a, that's a very, very, that, that, that was at the front of my mind. The spittle and the clay. Isn't that amazing? No. But he uses creation. The Lord uses any means. What about, uh, what, what about Elijah when he laid over that, the woman's son and the warmth of his body and he protected him and his staff? Right. Many times we see through Scripture how the Lord has used any means that He deems necessary. And we can see that. But what's important about that is a question arises. I was reading different, different uh, materials, and one, a question arose that I thought was very, uh, very profound. Why is it that we don't see a whole lot of miracles leading up to this? Well, actually, we do. There are plenty of miracles that we see, but it brings up a real important question. Okay, and so, so that's, that's a good point. I think that's really good to, to, to look at what's going on here regarding these implements. These miracles confirm that Paul was a messenger of God. And there was not a completed New Testament following the ministry of Christ, so there were still miracles being used to, to basically confirm the authenticity of the Word of Christ. It was still in its formation by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and these signs would validate the truth of the message from Paul given to him just as the tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was the manifestation of the gospel with Paul's disciples. And so when we see these miracles and these physical implements, the Lord was giving them as a gift to show us and to prove that he's, he's not lying. And it's very sad that he has to do that with his creation, but I think if we look around us, we see that we need to thank the Lord with our hearts for His mercy that He does open this up and show us and teach us because there are so many people that don't believe. They don't believe. Even in the ranks of evangelical seminaries, they do not believe in the authenticity of the miracles of God or Christ. They don't. That's very sad. Lisey. Right. Right. Right? Not only warning Christ was, that's a wonderful statement because he's not only giving them warnings about what's going to happen in the end times and what happens in the life after, but he's, but he's not only warning them, he's imploring them. And it's like Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I beg you, showing the heart of a pastor, I beg you to understand what I'm saying. This is not for my benefit, Paul says. I'm just telling you what I learned after what I was being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, 
persecuting Christians, I've learned this, and we need to learn this. That's a great point. We see here, what about signs and wonders? Why, why, what is the problem with us having the desire in our hearts to be asking, well, why aren't there more miracles shown? How come we're not seeing all of them? Why is it that there's only certain signs? The fact that God would show any signs at all is incredible. And there's one of endless signs in the Old Testament. We're going to read about in a minute. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to go to the next part here. When our Lord, our Lord confirms Paul's work in his doctrine by these miracles. We've seen many miracles. Remember, there are other miracles that we've already seen in the New Testament already. Peter's healing of Tabitha in chapter 9. Remember that? Remember? She's dead. He holds her hand. And she opens her eyes and there's Peter at the other end of her hand and he heals her and she gets up and she walks out. Isn't that incredible? What about the woman at Philippi that had followed Paul and he cast out those demons? For days she followed him and she was pursuing him. Talk about stalking. And he just, he was patient. He didn't let her have it. He just waited. He waited and he waited and all of a sudden, he I had enough. Holy Spirit, put on his heart, I've had enough. Depart. And they went out. And he, he cast out the demons right then and there. Remember that? Well, by his good pleasure and the Lord's mercies, we see these miracles. But we have to understand, before we go into looking at the signs real quick, we have to understand that what we have is what the Lord wanted us to have. John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. Can somebody read that? John 21, 24 and 25. I love these verses. And it basically shows why the Lord has given us what He's given us. He's handpicked what He wants us to understand. And there's a very practical reason why. Who has that? Thank you, Lisey. Can you see what it says? If there were books written about every last miracle that Christ did, and then if you add on to that all the apostles that had miracles, the earth couldn't even hold all the books. They're endless. They go over on and on and on and on and on. And we see what happens here in the New Testament is these miracles are not done for some kind of a sideshow. What was the objective of the miracles? Why are they there for us? The objective of these miracles is to teach us just what it just said in John 21, 24, and 25. John, the book of John is written on a heavenly perspective of God's relationship with Jesus Christ and his ministry here on this earth. And when it all comes down to it, and it's what we're studying in the Wednesday night prayer meeting, thankfully, it's a wonderful study. John's, the beloved, his objective was to show that Jesus Christ unequivocally is the Son of God. And that seems kind of easy for us to understand as Christians, but if you put that on a worldly context with all the religions that are out there, they were having the same problems back then, trying to differentiate all of the weird things that were out there. The exorcisms, the sorcerers, 
the Pharisees, all the different sects of the Jews and the religions that popped up in the intertestamental period, it was a mess. People were confused. They had no idea what to turn to. And Paul comes in and he starts preaching this gospel. It makes sense. It makes sense that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, that no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. One way. And this is what we're learning here. But we look back in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. It's a little bit of reading, but it's good reading. Here the Lord gave the signs. And the problem in the New Testament, many times that Christ encountered when he was trying to teach people, teach them about who, is Christ, who he was, he would even say to Nicodemus, haven't you read the Old Testament? He even said on the road to Emmaus to Cleophas and his friend, haven't you seen the Old Testament? He says to Nicodemus, you're a ruler. Well, look at, look at this sign here that was given here. Who has that? Can somebody read that? That's Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 16. Thank you, Matthew. And look at what was the, heart, the, the bottom line here. This, this first advent of Jesus Christ will be a little baby, born of a virgin. And I think it's fascinating in here where we see all these prophecies. Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a, true, as, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no comeliness. And there is no beauty we should desire. He is despised and rejected of men. There's one there. Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Remember that one. You go to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's another one. All throughout the Old Testament. Then this one hits. This one hits like a bomb. It says this advent of this, this baby will become born of a virgin and he will choose not to do evil. There is what you look at. Those that choose not to do evil, those that live their lives and their fruits bear it, no one's perfect, but those that are trying hard from their heart to do what's right and bear fruits, they're the ones that normally are the ones that you listen to, that are in the pulpits, that are honoring Jesus Christ alone and doing what's right and honoring the ministry like Paul the Apostle, like Peter, Philip. Remember Philip. Philip too had cast out demons. And, and I, have that, I have that recorded here. But we know that we, we see that this sign was given, but when Christ was here and Paul was here, people were still asking for more signs, more wonders. They wanted more proof. Even, remember, in Luke 16, remember the rich man who was burning in hell. Please tell my sons, not to come to this place. And they said, if, 
And, and, and Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses, they won't listen to those signs. Nothing I can do. Your, your time's over with. That's a, that's, a, that's a stark reality about what happens. Hell is real. Why were only these miracles unveiled in Ephesus? Most people go on about their perspectives about Scripture. But do they even read about the ones, the miracles that are there? Remember how the Pharisees, when miracles were right in front of them, Christ was going about from region to region, leaving endless witnesses that saw these miracles, still they came back and he asking for a sign? Christ was so enamored and upset about their lack of discernment that he said no sign will be given. And these confessions make it very obvious that it is our duty to use what we have and the Lord deems that plenty for our needs. And we know it's quite apparent that the miracles that are given, they're, they're incredible. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders, and in mighty deeds. And this directs our attention to be patient with our studies and our understanding of the timing of the miracles, that they're strictly from the Lord. And here at Ephesus, we have more direct account of these proofs. God exerted powers that were not natural. They, in fact, were quite supernatural. And we can see that there is a cosmic war going on beyond us every second of our lives. The Lord wants us to see what He wants us to see. But the question is, are we pursuing after it? Are we seeing it? Are we going into Scripture and are we digging it out? Are we, are we understanding it and we, are we trying to learn? These miracles that we read about, they were uncommon. And we see how they were wrought for our, our learning. Paul not only would cure the sick, but his handkerchiefs, his aprons. And we see what I think is fascinating, how he used very meager implements, just these little rags and people were healed by them, where we see in the papacy and many other cults, they use very expensive impl implements for people to bow down to, statues, golden, golden artifacts, all kinds of things, you know, using all kind of pomp and glory that have no power whatsoever. And Paul could take a dirty, sweaty handkerchief, people could touch it, and they would be healed when the, when the Lord gave it that power. Paul was used as a chosen vessel of our Lord, to be much like the serpent that was raised with Moses to cure and to heal people. Paul took absolutely, what I love, no credit for anything. All of this was definitely directed towards Christ. All of it. From his body were brought to sick handkerchiefs or aprons. Remember how the precious woman with the fatal blood disease touched the hem of Christ's garment and she was healed. And he spoke about her faith. Remember that? We just talked about that. Which takes us back to Matthew 10, 1, where we find that Christ, that God, Christ gave the apostles power against unclean spirits and against all matter of sickness. How many times do we see Christ casting out demons, healing the sick, curing the leopards? And when he cast out demons, he was freeing the souls of men from the power of the dominion of Satan. So here's the question Who has the greater power? Who has the greater power? The sorcerers, the exorcists, like the one that were there with Moses, who had their phony, had, had their phony displays with their serpents? Who has the greater power? Christ or them? But why do so many people follow them? Why, are, why isn't this place filled with thousands of people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Right? 
Right? And here's something that's going to really grab, thank you, Teresa, what's going to really grab your heart. How many times did the demons cast out the Holy Spirit from a Christian? Think about it. Find it in the Bible. Find it one time in the Bible. How many times did Christ's demons cast the Holy Spirit out of the heart of a born-again Christian? How many times did a Christian cast out demons out of the body of someone who was not believing, who was taken over by exorcisms or demons? How many times? Endless accounts in Scripture where thousands of demons were cast out and they obeyed Christ's word. They recognized them. And this takes us right to Sceva. Who was Sceva? Anybody heard of Sceva? I hope you didn't. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard of the sons of Sceva? You want to know why Sceva? Marianne, I'm sorry. Right. Yes. Right. Vagabond Jews. But that's the only time you hear of him, isn't it? You ever see the word Sceva in the Old Testament? He was claiming to be a Jewish priest and an exorcist and a sorcerer. The reason you've never heard of his name before that is because it was fabricated. He had lied. Even the name was a fabricated lie. went back into many commentaries. And all the theologians say, it, this too was a name. He just came up with the name Sceva and used it to draw people into exorcisms because the whole thing was fabricated. It was so fabricated that even the demon that was in the man that he was exorcising, even he said, I don't know you. I know Jesus. I know Paul who preacheth the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I don't know you. Even the demons, even God could speak to the demons to implore and to expose who the real healer is, who the real powerful, unlimited power of atonement and healing is Jesus Christ. Even the demons proclaim that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I get going on this stuff. In these verses, we see that the preachers of the gospel of Christ are sent forth by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on a war against Satan. And therefore, Christ continues the battle conquering and to conquer. We've seen Satan... We have, we have never seen Satan cast out the Holy Spirit from a blood-washed, born-again Christian. But we have seen Christ triumph every time when he would cast out demons. It wasn't like Christ would sit down with some kind of a, 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 some kind of a, a, um, a ritual or some kind of a chant and hope that the demons and beg them to come out. Every time he said to come out, it took like a second and they were gone. And he could put them wherever he wanted to put them. He puts them into the swine. Remember that? Lisey. Right. 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 That's a great point because, Matt, did you have your hand up? It's a great, you go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, and you see at the Gadara, when you see that the demons are cast into the swine, if you read the other Gospels, you'll see that in, in other Gospel, in at least one or two other Gospels. I, can't, I don't have the parallels yet. I, I had them, but I don't have them with me. The disciples were utterly, <laughs> they were utterly distraught with horror. 
when they saw this man from Gadara, I mean, this guy was a nut. He mutilated himself. He was strong enough because of the power of demons to break chains and all. And I, I mean, I've heard of stories. I've heard of stories. Maybe you've heard them. I've heard of them. I've read them. I've seen them. I've heard them from people. I've heard of stories from police officers where when some of these hardened criminals are on drugs, they literally can break rope. They can break things. And they're out of their mind. If you hit them, they don't feel it. You can beat them with a pipe. They don't feel it. They'll just keep coming back at you. They don't feel it. They're demon-possessed. And that's the power that they have. And this man in Kader, and this is what I have a problem also with self-mutilation, this man was demon-possessed and he, and, he, and he cut himself. And that happens. Greg. Yes. Right. And that brings up a very important point. If, you just, if your profession of faith is, I know Jesus Christ, I know He's the Son of God, and I know about the demons, I mean, I know who He is, then you have the qualification of a demon. What do you do with that? The question is, what do you do with that knowledge of Christ? Is it used in your life for you to look and examine yourself through the eyes of Christ, to build yourself, to, to have Christ direct you, and that is your confidence that is all of your strength and that is all of your existence? That is your life? Or is it just an arbitrary knowledge? Is it historicity? Lisa. Right. Right. And that's important because, you know, I, I, what are the, 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 the churches that I've had the, uh, the honor, I've had the, uh, the wonderful blessing to be that I've seen in, in most of my lifetime, most of the pastors would, ever, would only ever tell you, I'm just a beggar telling another beggar how to find bread. The pastors, most of the pastors that we've known, pastors coming in this church, they have, hum, they have humility. Ones in our presbytery, they have humility and they would tell you, I'm a sinner. And, you know, you, you see in other ranks of, of, of religion, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of them think that they're way over the congregation, that they're perfect and they can do anything and make all the decisions. They're sinners saved by grace, just like we are. And when we learn together, we're all sinners. And that's very important because John's first sermon, Jesus' first sermon, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But look at how the Lord gives us all this wisdom and gives us all this knowledge to reify our faith and to, to, and to grow in Him. Look, look how important it is. We see here that these exorcists, they took upon them the call over them and they used it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jewish exorcists, sons of Sceva, 
the name was fabricated. They had they used conjurations or expressions or trickery, bewitchment, and they used incantations or a use of spells or verbal charms spoken or sung as part of a ritual of magic. And here's where it gets real interesting. This is what I thought was fascinating because I, I came across this in some of the, some of the commentaries I was reading. The Jews were into exorcism. Now, we just read that. When you get away from Christ, anything is opened up to you. Any way you can get in order to get people's attention, you'll do that. If you're trying to build some kind of a phony ministry, and it works. Look at all the faith healers that are out there. They're worth millions and millions of dollars. People that follow them left and right, hook, line, and sinker. I'm going to read you something. I'm going to explain it to you first. Where do you hear this? It comes... It came to my attention, literally in the works of Josephus, that the Jews actually used an event that they thought was true by Solomon from his pagan wives, that they, the Jews, these exorcists, many of them believed that they had the power of healing because of what happened to Solomon in the writings of Josephus. Now remember, Josephus is not Scripture. A lot of, a lot of what Josephus believed in it's pretty common knowledge that Josephus was a, was a Pharisee that was unsaved. His works, his detail on what happened in the times of Christ, many it's, it's, it's incredible, but there is an account here that's very interesting. Did you have your hand up, Lisa? I'm sorry, I thought I saw your hand. Yeah, he's a historian like, like Philo, Erastus. Josephus was a Pharisee, and if you know, he has a book. And with works of Josephus, read this. This is in Book 8, Chapter 2, Section 5. Solomon also composed books of odes and songs, a thousand and five of parables and similitudes, three thousand. For he spake a parable upon every sort of tree, from the hyssop to the cedar, and in like manner also about beasts and all sorts of living creatures, whether upon the earth or in the seas or in the air, for he was not acquainted with any of their natures, nor omitted inquiries about them, but described them all like a philosopher and demonstrated his exquisite knowledge of their several properties. God also enabled him to learn that skill which expels demons, which is a science useful and sanative to men. He composed such incantations also by which distempers are alleviated, and he left behind him the manner of using exorcisms by which they drive away demons so that they never return, and this method of cure is of great force unto this day. For I have seen a certain man of my own country whose name was Eleazar, releasing people that were demoni demoniacal in the presence of Vespasian and his sons and his captains and the whole multitude of his soldiers. The manner of the cure was this. He put a ring that had a foot of one of those sorts mentioned by Solomon to the nostrils of the demoniac, after which he drew out the demon through his nostrils, and when the man fell immediately, he abjured him to return into him no more, making still mention of Solomon and reciting the incantations which he had composed." And when Eliezer would persuade and demonstrate to the spectators that he had such a power, he set a little way off a cup or basin full of water and commanded the demon, and he went out of the man to overturn it, and thereby to let the spectators know that he had left the man. And when this was done, the skill and wisdom of Solomon was shown very manifestly, 
For which reason it is that all men may know the vastness of Solomon's abilities and how he was beloved of God, and that the extraordinary virtues of every kind with which this king was endowed may not be unknown to any people under the sun. For this reason I say, it is that we have proceeded to speak so largely for these matters. What he's saying is Solomon was able to exercise demons. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Solomon was of the Lord. He had his problems. But basically, the Jew, vagabond Jews, literally directly fed off of this. And they used this basically like the Israelites used the golden calf in the name of God to worship a false calf, I mean a false idol. Look what happens here. They're basically taking Solomon and using that as an excuse to do sorceries and witchcraft. Do we see any other religions today using other methods in the name of Jesus Christ to pull people away? It happens everywhere. I mean, look at the papacy. Look at one of the biggest, this is one of the biggest voodoo cults there is. These were, there were, there were, these were itinerant Jewish exorcists. That means they didn't just stay, they didn't have their little... They didn't have their little office sitting down on the street that said um, medium or psychic, come in, give us 25 bucks, and we'll read your future. No, these exorcists, there was a large conglomerate of them that went from town to town, and they spread this. They were very wealthy, and they were extremely uh, good at what they did. They knew how to get people's attention. Remember, remember Simon Magnus back in chapter 8 in the book of Acts where we saw a section of miracles at the hands of Philippi who was under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the tutelage of Peter. We saw him cast out demons. We see in chapter 13, verse 6, bar Jesus, if we remember, chapter 13, verse 9 in Acts, we read, Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? We see another miracle here before this. We see here in contrast to the unlimited power and the absolute authority of Jesus Christ administered through the Holy Spirit, these wicked exorcists actually tried to use the name of Jesus Christ to perform these horrible, horrible, wicked sorceries. And you want to know what's fascinating? What didn't they say? They said, this is Jesus Christ that Paul preacheth. They never owned it. They never owned it and said, this is the Jesus Christ that we follow and that we love. No, they put it on Paul. They had themselves detached, but they would use anything in order to get people's attention. And it happens today. It happens in many false cults and religions today using the name of Jesus Christ to pull people in. And this is what happened. They said, we urge you by the power of Jesus, who Paul is a witness of. Not us. They do not and cannot own the love of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say, this is Paul's. And we see recognizing that the exorcist had no authority over this demoniac man. Unlike Jesus and Paul, the demon rejected their attempt to expel them from the victim. Even the demon rejected them. The actual demon of Satan called them out and said, We understand Paul. We, 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 we know who Paul is. Oh, he's given us a really hard time. We know who Jesus is. Jesus gives us the ultimate horrible time. We don't know who you are. You're a bunch of phonies. And he exposed them. Lisa.
It wasn't Jerry. He, he, Jerry's the one that slid down the sliding board. Um, and, but it was uh, in his suit. Remember that? And um, it wasn't him. It was Ernest Haynes and Peter Popoff. He was another one. He's the one that got caught. He had the, the microphones and he would you know, stay in front. He would, yes. Right. He, was, he, was, he did something like this, and I'm just paraphrasing. He would stay up there and he would call like to the third row, hey, in a couple minutes, have a seizure, okay? He'd call back and he'd have a seizure. He'd tell him, he'd bring him out of it. He got caught doing that. At least. Right. 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 When Pastor Olson said, he said the miracles today are manifested through our prayers. I mean, are, are we going to sit there and pray and watch a mountain turn upside down or see something fall right in front of us? No. But in time, we see, we've seen miracles. We've seen things happening in our Wednesday night prayer meeting. Many people saved from many horrible illnesses that we thought were going to die. And the Lord, that's in His timing. Not our will, but thy will be done. Right, Lisa? Right. But that's all signs and miracles for everyone to see. Again, in that way, right. it's restricted. And the question is, why isn't it enough? And that's not even the bigger question. The biggest question is, are the ones that are recorded, are they, are they even being read at all? I mean, isn't that enough? 66 books? Pastor Britton always wonderfully gives how many words there are in the Bible. He tells how many letters or whatever he knows. I don't know. He knows. He knows more than I do. And... uh. And isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to read that? How much more? I, I maintain that if it was only, you remember in school when you wanted to really do something real quick on a, like a test, you would go to Cliff Notes and buy them down at the store and you, you know, you'd get some of the, the poetry and all and you'd read the Cliff Notes real quick. I'm, I, I maintain if there were Cliff Notes of the Bible that were 15 pages, most people wouldn't read it. I give, we, we hand out thousands of tracts and, and basically people throw them in the garbage. You know how it is. I hope they read them. And we're praying one day we'll, we'll, we'll see the manifestation. You give them a little track with a few pages with Bible verses, they don't even want it. In contrast, the unlimited power and absolute authority of Jesus Christ was administered through the Holy Spirit. These wicked exorcists actually tried to use the name of Jesus Christ. We said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth, they said, we urge you by the power of Jesus, who Paul's a witness of, not us, and they do not own this love of Christ. And we see that the demons were recognizing that the exorcist had no authority over this demoniac man, unlike Jesus and Paul. The demons rejected their attempt to expel them from this victim, and this reified that the power to cast out demons belongs only to Christ. And what happens? These false prophets were sent running out naked and wounded. They were beaten. This is what happened. They had a rough time. They had Christ against them, they had Paul against them, and they had the demons against them. What, what could be worse? 
I mean, they had everybody against them. Even, even, even as wicked as the demons are, the demons never came back and said to them, oh, well, thank you for considering us. No, they said, you're phonies too. And, and this, this is what happens. And it says, and the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out that house wounded and naked. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks. This event spread all throughout the area. People knew about it. Lisey. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They were mutilated. They were beaten so bad it ripped the clothes off of them. They were beaten. That's how bad it was. You think this is a joke? You think this is something that just happens back in Acts and it's just some kind of folklore, some kind of... I, I was reading the other day and I first I thought this was great. I thought, wow, this, this might be a good thing. And then I had to read a little further and then I t- totally couldn't believe my eyes. But we go down, there's the Jacksonville Senior Center down there. It's got a nice big track around it. We like to walk it. There's all kind of information on it. And I was looking up something for something they have, um, they, they have uh, the, local, um, the local area, basketball programs and all for kids. I was looking it up for Noah. So I'm looking, there's a whole drop down about what happens at the Jacksonville Senior Center. And it says yoga, someone this day and this day. And it says religious classes for those that are hurting. I'm like, wow, that's unusual. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. So I'm like, well, I'm going to hit the link. Why not? I'm glad I did. Well, what they're going to do for the seniors over there is they're bringing in a medium in order to give them psychic lessons on what their future holds, and that's their religious therapy. I mean, this is everywhere. Religious, that's what, that's what they call religion today, the, the sorcery, you know, demonism. Lisa. Right. It's out there. I mean, we were talking a few weeks ago about the time of Halloween, well, you know, the, the All Saints Day and all these things. This is out there. This stuff's out there. I mean, talking about the Ouija board, the guy who invented it is buried down at Greenmont Cemetery. He's got a Ouija board on, yeah, and people go down there and have seances. Right down there in Baltimore, Greenmont Avenue. A lot of great people buried down. Jay Gresham Machem, he's buried down there. When he's, he was a founder of our presbytery. And he, he preached Carl, Dr. Carl McIntyre's ordination. He's buried down there. It's out there. This stuff is serious, and, and the Lord's teaching us about it. So next week we'll, look, we'll go further. Let's, let's finish this morning and... Uh, let me ask, uh, ask uh, Brother Charlie, could you close us in prayer this morning? Thank you.